First Thessalonians chapter five this morning, beginning at verse 11, actually a verse we left off on last week. Um, and here's, here's where we are in the book of first Thessalonians. Paul, as he's finishing this letter to this local church in Thessalonica, and let's be reminded, this is a letter to a local church, and that comes into play here very heavily in what we're going to say this morning. But he's writing this letter to a group of local church believers, just like it would be here at the Oasis. Instead of the church at Thessalonians, it'd be the church of the Chanderlonians or something like that, you know? And he's writing this letter to a group of Christians assembling together in this local church. And, and lately he's been talking a lot about prophecy, about the future plans that God has. And he's saying, look, the day of the Lord is coming. It's coming as a thief in the night. I want you as followers of Jesus Christ to always be ready, always be prepared, always be alert for the coming. And he's shared with us how that can happen in our life, how we can be ready and prepared and fit and in a spiritually healthy healthy condition when the Lord comes. And one of the things that he talked about last week as we ended our message was that it is essential for us as followers of Jesus Christ not to try to stay prepared and fit and ready for the return of the Lord and the day of the Lord on our own. Because God never intended for us to try to do it on our own. That really the only way you and I as followers of Jesus Christ can stay in a spiritually healthy, fit, prepared position in our life is by being in a group of other Christians who are like-minded like us, who are pursuing the Lord with all of our heart, who are growing and maturing and are striving to stay alert and, and be ready for the Lord. And it's in that kind of spiritual environment that we can all help each other to stay on course. So that's why we ended last week with this verse in verse 11 of chapter 5, where he tells the church, Therefore, it is up to all of us, not just the spiritual leaders of the church, but everyone in this church, every one of us are responsible before God, first of all, to encourage one another, to admonish, to exhort, to advise. These are alternative uh, translations of the word encourage. And then he goes on to say, and it's up to all of us to be building up each other. Literally promoting the spiritual growth of one another. Again, it's not just my responsibility or our elders or our ministry leaders or our staff to be, you know, promoting growth. It's up to all of us to, to see how can I be promoting the growth of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is then in this spiritual environment of mutual encouragement, of reciprocal building each other up, that we will be in a good place spiritually. And obviously then helping others stay in that condition as well. So with that said, now Paul comes into verse 12. And in the next couple of verses, he wants to share with this local church and really with every local church, how we can have a healthy church family. What are the marks? And these aren't exhaustive, but to Paul right now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these were things that the Holy Spirit wanted to talk to the church about. And these are marks of a healthy church family. You say again, well, why is, is it important that, that you know, we be part of a local church and be participants and have a healthy church family and choose to be part of a healthy church family? Because that's how God builds the overall general church. 
Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you ever wonder, well, how does Jesus do that? How does he build the church? Well, he builds the church through the church. See, he builds his church through local churches, just like the Oasis, just like the church in Thessalonica. That's how he builds the church. He takes a group of believers who are willing to come and join together and participate together in worship and in serving and in growing together and being a part of a group of people that encourage one another and edify and build each other up. And that's how Jesus builds the church. So with that said, Paul shares three marks of a healthy church family with us in these verses we're going to look at this morning. He tells us that a healthy church family honors their leadership. Secondly, a healthy church family helps the fellowship. And a healthy church family heals their relationships with one another. That's what a healthy church does. So let's look at this this morning a little bit closer. Notice in verse 12, he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters... It's a word that speaks about making an earnest request of someone who has a a relationship with someone. It's like, you know, we, we wouldn't just go up to a total stranger probably and ask for something, especially something that might be, you know, a little costly or sacrificial or whatever. But if we know somebody pretty well then we're going to be more uh, apt to ask them and, and urgently request something because of the relationship we have. And so Paul's saying, I know you. you, you know me, we know each other. We started this church. I want to come along and, and, and urge you to do something. To acknowledge those who labor among you and preside over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them most highly in love because of their work. The word acknowledge here that Paul uses, we could also use the word appreciate. Paul's saying, appreciate your spiritual leaders. Show appreciation to them for what they do. Let me say this. I think that it's very important in a local church that we as brothers and sisters in Christ and fellow believers not only learn to honor, if you will, and appreciate our leadership, but that we just have a general appreciation in our life for one another and for all, and that we just sort of cultivate an attitude of gratitude in our midst at all times. I mean, that just goes so far. That, that's, that's so that we can be even more sensitive to the good things and all the things and the blessings that God does for us. That we wake up every day and we wake up in a spirit of thanksgiving. Thanking God for, for who He is and for what He's done for us. And really living a, a life of gratitude and thankfulness to God. Because it's out of really that that then we become more appreciative and thankful for the people that God brings into our lives as well. If, if I'm not really being thankful to God, if I'm not allowing God to develop that attitude of gratitude within me, 
to where I express gratefulness and thanks and appreciation for, for what God has done, then I probably won't do very well at, at expressing appreciation and thankfulness and gratitude to others as well. And, and make no mistake about it, this starts really young in our lives, does it not? I mean, that's why I think that, again, being a grandparent now and, and, and being a parent and whatever, and can even look back at my own parents and grandparents, they tried to mold that into me as a really, really young little guy. I can remember my grandparents and parents always reminding me, now, if someone does something nice for you, please say thank you to them. Don't, don't let that act of kindness or whatever go by. Make sure you show appreciation. I mean, this was something that my parents and grandparents sort of tried to, you know, instill in me as, from really young all the way up. Because it's something that you and I, I think, need to, to learn to do. And, and the younger we instill that in our children and grandchildren, then the To me, it takes hold more that way. And that's the way God wants to see us as His children. That we truly live each day showing our appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness to God and to others. And I want that kind of attitude to just be pervasive at the Oasis. I want us to to appreciate one another. To show each other that, that what you did does not go unnoticed. Because let's face it, out there in the world... One of the ways that that the church, that local churches, that community of believers can be different than the way the world is, is because many of you work out there and navigate primarily in that world where you're never appreciated. Where you're always asked to do more with less. And where the things that you do and the way you bend your back over and, and the extra time and effort and all that you put in, you never are shown appreciation. You, you never are told you're doing a, a good job, you know. You're never given really any credit. It's almost just like we're just going to keep asking you to do more and more and we're not really ever going to show you any appreciation. And when you get it, it's like, yeah, somebody noticed. See, in the church, in the church, it should be different. If we truly are living with that attitude of gratitude and thankfulness and all of that in our lives every day to God, then that should spill out to our relationships with each other. And Paul's saying here, appreciate your spiritual leaders. Know what they do for you. He goes on to say, they labor among you. They work hard. Believe it or not, spiritual leaders do work hard. Our staff, from Pastor Chad, Nicole, Crystal, these folks work hard. Our elders do a lot, and and they're volunteer. Our ministry leaders volunteer, put in a lot of hours. You know, just for example, Woody, he doesn't get paid for what he's doing. He's out there all weekend heading up this men's ministry. Many of you, you put in all this time, but it's a lot of times it's volunteer. And even our staff that gets paid, I know I've shared this before, but probably not enough. They're only paid part-time, but they work full-time. You're getting a full-time employee out of people that are only being paid part-time. 
And so we need to show appreciation for those who work hard. And then he goes on to say, those who preside over you, those who stand before you and are leading you. And yes, there is something to be said for that. Because from a spiritual warfare standpoint, and we've talked about this, any of us who are willing to stand before the people of God automatically become targets of our spiritual enemy. Make no mistake about it. It's something that all of us understand when we take on a position of spiritual leadership and we stand before the people of God. We will automatically become a target of our spiritual enemy. Because our spiritual enemy knows if I can take down leaders, then I can also greatly negatively impact and influence the people underneath them. And so that's another reason why Paul is saying Make sure you appreciate the fact that they're even willing to stand up there because they take a lot of arrows that maybe you don't even realize they take from the enemy just simply because they're willing to stand before the people of God and lead them. And then he says, they also admonish you. We are called upon as spiritual leaders to exhort you through instruction. That's what the word admonish means, to exhort through instruction. And then he says, and esteem them most highly in love because of their work, because of the effort they're putting forth. What's it mean to esteem? It means to regard, but in the Greek language, it means even more than that. It means to allow them to greatly influence your life. That's what God wants. If, if, you, if, if we are being good leaders, the kind of, which obviously that puts then the responsibility on us, we better be good leaders We better be good examples because God is asking his people to esteem us, to regard us, but also to to allow our lives to influence them. Then that behooves us who are becoming spiritual leaders or who are spiritual leaders. We better make sure our lives are in order because God is laying the responsibility not only on us to be who we should be as leaders, but he's calling on God's people to let our lives highly influence yours. And then the other thing that this word esteem means is to be cooperative with your spiritual leaders. Don't don't, uh, be uncooperative. Don't always be, you know, fighting with your spiritual leaders and, and critical and questioning everything. Learn to approach them with the spirit of cooperation. Realize the, the responsibility that they have and what they're trying to do. And so that's where it starts. Paul says, here's a mark of a healthy church. A church that honors their leadership. And who appreciates their leaders. But also, in my mind, it's just a reminder that in a local church, it shouldn't just be about honoring and appreciating our leaders, but appreciating and honoring everyone in the church for all that is done. And that we just have and cultivate again that attitude of gratitude that can start being instilled even at a very young age. Even just what we would consider to be just common ways of just being polite to one another. The pleases, the thank yous. They go a long way in our society, in a society where lack of all of that is really taking place. 
And so that's where Paul starts. But then Paul says this. He also says that you and I need to help the fellowship. And again, fellowship isn't just sitting down at a meal together. It is doing life together. It is interacting in a way where we positively rub off on each other. And again, mutually encourage and build each other up. So next he says, be at peace among yourselves. Help the fellowship by cultivating and keeping the harmony that you have, the unity that you have. God loves it when He can look down from heaven and see that brothers and sisters are dwelling together in unity. Because again, He knows how important it is that we maintain harmony and peace and unity amongst ourselves. How many of us in our lifetime of church, of doing church, have been a part of a church that has been torn apart by disunity. Church splits and, and groups leaving churches and Christians not being able to get along and, and fighting with each other and stuff. That's why I tell you, I have never been part of a church like the Oasis to where we have such a spirit of unity and, and, co- and yet... The enemy's tried to get in a couple times in six years and disrupt that. And there have been times where it's, it has for a while. But it seems like then God takes over and, and people start yielding and surrendering to God. And there becomes that spirit of unity and peace. And we even see that on a staff level and ministry leader level and elder level. Because I've been, listen, I, I'm in contact and have been for years with people other pastors, people, and they'll talk to me about the the fights that they have in their elder meetings and the staff can't get along with each other and they, they really don't even like each other, but they work together. And I'm like, we've never had that at the Oasis. Never had that at the Oasis. Early on, yes. But that group left, fortunately, and we were able to move on. But we've never had what that ongoing striving and fighting with one another. Because the Holy Spirit that we just sang about and, and that we want to do something in our lives, He needs a proper environment to work in. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, will not work in an environment where Christians are backbiting each other and and raking each other over the coals and fighting with each other. But he certainly will work in an environment where we're coming together in unity under the banner of the cross of Jesus Christ and laying our diversity and differences aside and realizing that there's something much bigger here that we need to be bound together and joined together by. That's when the Spirit can really work. And too often in local churches, one of the reasons why there's not a healthy environment is because they're not at peace amongst each other. There's no unity there, you see. And Paul says that's huge. Then he goes on to say another way we can help the fellowship, verse 14, is by urging brothers and sisters to admonish the undisciplined. Again, the word admonish means to correct and warn And what's the word undisciplined means? It means to be out of step or out of line. It was a military term, primarily in Paul's day, for soldiers that broke rank. That just sort of, you know, here's where we're marching, and all of a sudden the soldier just said, I'm doing my own thing. 
And if you've ever studied military battles or military history, you know how disastrous that can be. And if you know me, you know my uh, liking, I guess, of, of the Civil War and studying it. And I can tell you that many times battles in the Civil War, they turn because someone, a general, all the way down to maybe privates, broke rank started to do their own thing rather than staying in step with their fellow soldiers. And it was disastrous for the army and the enemy. And, and God is saying the same thing about us. We need to walk step in step and be in line with each other and go in the same direction and not just go off and start doing our own thing. We need to be a disciplined army of God that works towards common goals and can come together and work together like an army against a common enemy rather than seeing ourselves as the enemy, if you will, and and, and having a spirit of competition with each other rather than cooperation. And Paul's saying it is our responsibility in the body when you have healthy relationships to be able to admonish each other when that happens, to say, hey, you're out of line. Now think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. And the reason I say that is because how many even Christians today would go, if that happened to me, I'd get out of that church in no time. I don't want anybody telling me that I might be out of line. And you know why? Sad to say that's true. Because we don't know how to do relationships on a biblical level. We don't want to place ourselves under the authority of a local church. Remember back when he was talking about honor your leadership? Remember what he said? He said, acknowledge those who labor among you and preside over you. That means that Christians should be willing to place themselves into a local church under the authority of spiritual leaders. The problem today is you can't even get Christians to start there. They don't want to be accountable. They don't want to be under anybody's authority. They're their own person. I'm calling my own shots, even though this is what the Bible says. And yet, sad, they become sheep with no shepherd because they really don't have a pastor in their life. They don't have spiritual leaders who really love them and care for them and are really watching over their souls They're out there again trying to stay alert and prepared and fit. And they're doing it all on their own because they're unwilling to come into a local church and truly engage and become a vital part of a local church and be under the authority of spiritual leaders. Even though that's God's way, they're not willing to do it. They're saying, just like, I'll do it my way. And God says, no, no. Because God wants us to be so glued together and so connected together and so close to one another that we would be comfortable being able to engage with each other and looking each other in the eye every once in a while and say, I think you're wrong. And actually being okay with it. Remember what the book of Proverbs says? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And you and I all know if there's somebody that we truly believe has our back and truly loves us and they're they're really on our side and we know it, that then we can hear something tough from them and we'll be willing to accept it. At least that's the way it should be. If you and I are not in that position before God to hear some tough things from people who really love us, then we'll never listen to God either. 
Because God says some really tough things, even though he loves us. But if we're not willing to hear them, then we're never going to really grow. We're never really going to mature. We're never really going to reach our potential because we're always going to surround ourselves with, with yes people. People who say, yeah, you're, you're okay no matter what and you're doing good and you don't have anything to worry about, nothing to work on or anything like that. Where's the real love in that? Any more than a parent would seeing the things that their children might be doing that are destructive to their own lives but never saying anything about it. I don't want my child to, to think I don't love them. You know, I want to be their friend. No. See, we need to be engaged with each other on a level where we can do this with each other. Where we can actually admonish each other if we need it. You see. If, if I'm out of line, I, I would hope somebody loves me enough here besides my own family. And I guarantee you, they would. And I'm glad for that. But I would hope that I have somebody else here say, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, you, you're missing the mark here. You see, that's what we're supposed to be for one another. Because we, we're only going to see one side of it, our side. And sometimes we need to see other perspectives to go, oh, I never thought about that. That's why it's been so cool, even though it's a struggle that we're going through, to even do this whole building thing together. Because like we'll get together and there'll be several of us in a room and then somebody will bring up something and we'll go, Oh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't thought of that yet. See, that, that's why God wants us to come together because sometimes we only see something from our perspective. And we need other perspectives in order to maintain that balance in our life that is so necessary. Then he goes on to say, not only admonish the, the undisciplined, but comfort the discouraged. We need to be part of a spiritual environment where we cheer each other up. That there will be people in our spiritual family that are, that are faint-hearted, that are of little courage. And maybe they just need a little even push. They, they need to be emboldened to step up and step out and, and, and assume a responsibility in the body of Christ. But, you know, they've always sort of been that timid soul, like Timothy was. And that's why Paul came along in his life as a spiritual mentor and said, Timothy, I know you're young. But don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. Stir up the gift of God. You know, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. He gave us the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Get out there, Timothy. Do your thing. And sometimes that's what we need for one another. We need to embolden each other and and say, come on, you can do it. That's what being part of a spiritual family is all about. That's the mark of a spiritually healthy family. Some just lack the courage. They just need a little bit more encouragement to step up and step out and do something. I know some of you, you were talking to me and you were praying for me about going to Mexico. Look what you did. And I'm so glad you did. Because every once in a while, we all need to get out of our comfort zones, as I talked about last week. And we need to be stretched. And sometimes the only way we do that is not by continuing to navigate life on our own, but by allowing other people to speak into our lives. And that's what Paul's saying here. And then finally he says about helping the fellowship, help the weak. The word help means to support. It means to support those who are drained and depleted. And every once in a while, again, no matter who we are, 
There's times in our life spiritually where we are just spiritually drained. We've got nothing left. We have been through a season that's pretty rough and and it seems like pressure after pressure and trial after trial. And we need some brothers and sisters in our life who are willing to come around us and put their arm around us and say, can we pray for you? And, and, And how can I support you in this? And how can I bear that burden for you? That's what our spiritual family is supposed to be about. And by the way, that's again another reason why God created the church. Because sometimes our own blood family can't really help us. And here's why. Because they don't live where we live. That's again why the book of Proverbs says, A friend who is near is better than a brother who's far away. Because you may have a relative lives 3,000 miles across the country, but you you need a face. You you need somebody who who you can touch. You you need somebody you can sit across from a table at a coffee shop, and you need somebody to talk to. And so you need a spiritual brother or sister in your life. It's great that you've got family, but if they're not near, if they can't come alongside of you, that's why we need each other. Because a brother who's far away isn't going to help sometimes, but a friend who's near will. And so he says, we need to cultivate this kind of environment in a local church. These are marks of a healthy church. This is how we truly help our fellowship. When we're willing to work towards peace and be peacemakers, when we're willing to admonish those who are out of step and out of line, when we're willing to comfort those who are discouraged and help those who are weak. And then finally, Paul says, another mark of a healthy fellowship is when our relationships are being healed. When we value relationships enough not to walk away from them, but to work through them and to go the extra mile in preserving our relationships with each other, which again is a foreign concept today, even amongst Christians. Just yesterday, my wife and I were talking to the speaker and his wife out at the men's retreat during a break, and they were saying the same thing. They said relationships amongst Christians even today, sad to say, are disposable. We just walk away from each other because that's what we do as a society. If something doesn't go our way or something isn't exactly the way we want, we don't try to work through things. We just walk away from each other. So here's what Paul says. Be patient toward all. The word patient means to be long-suffering. Literally in the Greek, long-fused. And I've shared this with you before, bizarre illustration, but you'll know where I come from. I grew up on the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons. Even before I moved here, I was like, boy, I'd like to live there. That looks pretty cool, even in a cartoon. But the coyote would come up with all these different ways to try to get the the Roadrunner. And many times he'd have these, you know, bombs or something. And and they'd have these like mile-long fuses on them. You know, by the time he lit it and the time it got to where it would blow up and actually do something, the roadrunner or something else would, you know, obviously get in there and it wouldn't work. But I always thought that that's exactly what we're to be with one another. We're to have this long fuse. We're not to be short-fused. We're not to be short-tempered. We're not to be short in patience for one another. We are to be long-suffering towards each other. We are to take a lot, a lot, a lot before we react and respond, especially in a bad, negative way. And yet again, so many Christians 
Instead of allowing God to work in them and build that long-suffering for each other, we become very short with each other and we blow up very quickly. And that is not a sign of spiritual growth or maturity. It's also not a sign that we truly appreciate the long-suffering of God for us. Because if we had any idea how much God is long-fused and long-suffering with us and how much He has put up with us, then we would be inclined to be a little bit more patient with one another if we appreciated the patience of God towards us. But someone who lacks that patience with others obviously has no appreciation or very little appreciation for the patience that God displays for them each and every day. And God wants us to get that in our own lives. He wants us to be long-suffering and long-fused with each other. It's the only way relationships are going to survive, you see. I mean, any friendship that has survived over a long period of time that you've had in your life, you had to at some point be long-suffering towards that person or them towards you. Any marriage that survives, you have to be that way. Anything that survives long term, you've got to have patience with one another. And God is saying, that mark should be in my people, in my church. Then he goes on to say, see to it, verse 15, that no one, not even one person in the church, ever pays back evil for evil to anyone. Do not have the spirit of retaliation in the church. That's not a sign of Christ. That's not the mark of a healthy relationship. And why do we get to that place in our life? Because we don't understand how to turn to God and let God heal the hurts that others do to us in our life. So we lash out towards others. That's the way we deal with hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Because they never learned how to turn to God and let God heal their hurt. That's why David is such a great example in the Bible of this. David got hurt by a lot of people who were close to him. Remember, he had Saul slinging spears at his head, trying to kill him. His own son, Absalom, turned against him. David dealt with a lot of personal hurt in his life. But the Psalms are a book in the Bible that teach us, where did David go with his hurt? He didn't try to go to others to, to heal that hurt. He didn't try to heal the hurt himself. He went to God and poured out his heart to God. And it was only through his personal relationship and fellowship with God that the hurts that others did to him were healed so that he didn't turn into them. Because that's not what God wants. God wants to show us that with him, we don't have to lower ourselves to the level of other people. Yeah, we will be hurt. But God says, what good is it going to do for you to turn around and hurt somebody else back who's hurt you? All you're going to do is begin a cycle of hurt that's never going to end. My people have to step up and be better, just like Jesus was. Who, as he was being scourged and tortured and crucified, did not open up his mouth. Who even had the power to call angels down or even judge the people that were doing it at the very time. And he could have obliterated them. And he did nothing. Because he showed the power of restraint rather than the power of retaliation. And he wants to see that kind of quality in his people as well. 
It needs to be present in our lives as a church as well. And then he says, and go all out and pursue what is good for one another and for all. Run after what's good for one another. And by the way, the word good speaks about what is profitable and beneficial for one another. What is truly profitable and beneficial? Not for myself, because I'm not supposed to enter into a local church or to a body of believers and make it all about me, which again, what many Christians do today, when they look for a local church and they're out there trying to find a local church to be a part, it's like, man, what can that church do for me? Instead of coming, it's like, no, I, I want to be part of a body of believers that, that functions this way. And if I, need, if I need some tough love, so be it. It's for my own good. But I also can be part of a, of a body of believers where they'll allow me to pursue what's most beneficial and profitable for them too. And we'll mutually be part of something that's so dynamic that we'll actually help each other. And we'll be that iron that sharpens iron. And we'll both grow together and we'll both be better for it when we run after what's good for one another. Not what's best for us but what's best for the entire body or for that other person. These are the marks of a healthy church family. In closing, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians and look at one verse. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. We're going to talk more about this in the fall, because after we get through our series in First and Second Thessalonians, we're going to begin a series in the book of Ephesians in this, the fall. And the main thing that really arches over the entire letter of the book of Ephesians is this verse in Ephesians 3.21, where Paul tells this local church, this local church in Ephesus, this is what it's all about, folks. To him be the glory where? In the church. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we're going to talk more about what that means. But for today and how I want to wrap this up. This is where I want to leave it for today. Another alternative translation for the word glory could be the word honor. So think about what Paul's saying. The honor of God is in the hands of the church. The honor of God is in the hands of the church. As other people see how we do church, that should bring honor to God. Think about then how often local churches do not bring honor to God because as people look at the way they do church, the way they treat each other, the the way they work together or not work together, the way they don't cooperate with each other and all of these things, what honor does that bring to God? And that's why Paul is saying it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ who are part of His body, part of the church and who should be part of a church, a local church, that we remember that it is always our responsibility that as participants in this local body, like every local body, we are to bring honor to God through how we do church. And that's why we need to strive to be the kind of local church that the Bible talks about. 
Because it's in that way that as others look at us, the oasis, God will be honored. Not us, but God will be honored by the way we do church together. Let's pray. Father God, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you make us, God, the church that you want us to be? May we allow you to be the head of the church. May we let you, God, lead. And God, we pray today that more maybe than ever before we have we have recognized, we have come to know and learn that being part of a local church is a big deal to you. And not just being a member or just showing up every once in a while, but really participating and engaging and doing church the way your word tells us we should do church. Because it's not us doing church the way we want that brings you honor. It's the way you've taught us to do church that brings you honor. To you, God, be glory in the church. May God, we strive to bring you honor today and forever until we meet you in how we do church. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.